Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. In this third episode of C-Suite Talks, our guest is Dato Amy Morris, the outgoing CEO of Maybank Investment Banking Group. She oversaw the transformation of Maybank Investment Bank from a single market entity into a leading investment bank in ASEAN that has won more than a thousand awards. Also a champion of sustainability and diversity, equity and inclusion, she is chair of the 30% Club Malaysia. Dr. Fadil Mohammad, the CEO of Maybank Investment Bank, speaks with her. Firstly, thank you Amy for accepting our invite to join this podcast. You are closing off a 30-year career in financial services, of which 13 years were spent at Maybank. Looking back, what were the pivotal moments and how has the industry evolved? Thank you, Fadil, for inviting me uh, to this podcast. So before anything else, uh, let me start very much at the beginning, uh, especially on the question of pivotal moments. You know, when I was growing up in post-independence Malaysia, I do recall very vividly when I was about 10, all I wanted in life then was a full set of colour pencils and magic pens. That was my reality. The reality of a family that was very economically challenged in an economic and poverty trap. So for me, growing up, new shoes, new uniform, they were a luxury. And at that point in time, colour pencils were a dream. Much of my professional journey has been about escaping the poverty trap. And as I have evolved professionally, uh, it has also evolved me to wanting to provide access for others to escape the same in whatever capacity that I have. So in terms of pivotal moments, there are, or rather, there were two key ones uh, in my time at Maybank. When firstly, when we as the Maybank group uh, chose the path of humanizing financial services as our mission, uh, it was a turning point in helping to define what mattered to me and how I would do the, these things that mattered to me. It really helped to confirm for me that putting people at the centre of whatever that I did or do was at the heart of it. Uh, the second pivotal moment, this was uh, seven, eight years on from that mission statement of humanising financial services. That second pivotal moment was uh, when we as an investment bank decided to position ourselves as ASEAN's sustainability first investment bank. That set us on a path of driving an ESG agenda across the platform. And at that point in time, in 2018, ESG was not even fashionable uh, in this part of the world. You know, th those two moments really helped to shape uh, what I think are the reasons why I get up every morning and how I turn up to work. And in terms of changes to industry, etc., how I would like to think about it is that being in the capital market is really being at the epicenter of capital raising. But what it does not mean intrinsically is that we have to be evil capitalists. Quite the contrary, in my view. Uh, we can, in fact, be a force for, for good in ensuring equity and equitability, especially in terms of access to infrastructure, access to education. One example that I would like to give is that, you know, understanding how to finance solar power projects, for example, which was a milestone for you as a CEO of for the uh, investment bank in Malaysia, that really helped to power communities with cleaner and more responsible sources of energy. And that expertise which we built out of Malaysia was taken to the other markets of ASEAN to help fund energy transitions across ASEAN. 
Can I take a step back and, and talk a bit about the acquisition of Kimeng Holdings that already had a footprint in ASEAN? How has it been taking leadership in a regional investment banking group, navigating complexities across markets and dealing with different cultures and different state of plays in, in different markets? What are the lessons and perspectives you think you can share there? I can tell you something, Padil. I mean, <laughs> the last 13 years, you know, it has been very, a very stressful roller coaster managing a portfolio of 10 countries. Uh, naturally, it has been, yes, extremely exciting, nevertheless, uh, full of challenges being a CEO uh, also during the pandemic, similar to you. Crisis management, making sure the well-being of our, all our people uh, was the utmost priority, but at the same time, making sure that our clients uh, continued to be able to have access to markets was also a key imperative. So in terms of the acquisition and then the integration, people these days, they say that uh, technology is the biggest leveler that we have. Uh, the fact is, technology is the easy bit, and people, however, can be less so. This is not in any way a, a negative perspective. What I have tried to do is that if we know how to harness people's beliefs, because I intrinsically believe that people in various shapes and forms, in whatever culture or language, uh, really do want to do good. People want to be good and people want to have the recognition of doing uh, the right things. So as an organization, and if that uh, have a purpose that people believe in, uh, it's unimaginable uh, the reservoir of energy that uh, an organization can unleash, right, if uh, we have a purpose that people believe in. So things like humanizing financial services, being the force for good, uh, people have told me, especially when I was having a conversation with somebody from my office, someone told me that these are slogans. Do you really buy into them? So what I want to say is that across cultures, across languages or whatever, that these can be more than just slogans. It's really about how the organization, the leadership of the organization really bring down these uh, slogans or frameworks or mindsets to actual practices, uh, especially cultural practices and really practice really in living out that purpose. It's interesting you talk about leadership from that standpoint. I, I was listening to another podcast and, and where two CEOs were talking about what are the two key attributes to leadership and one mentioned was certainly being authentic and the other was the need to, to have empathy. That, that was the two things uh, that came out from that uh, conversation. Do you agree on that? Being empathetic and being authentic. I'm probably my harshest critic, so I do spend a lot of uh, nights and also in my waking hours and uh, I pray very hard that I do understand the, the, my own purpose and how I can share that purpose for everyone in the organization. And I certainly uh, would say the same, that being authentic and being empathetic are very, very key. Not that easy sometimes uh, to come across, but uh, the other thing that I would put to that is that it is really being a good listener. And I do try to practice that before in, in conversations, in discussions, whatever, I do try to pause and say, let other people speak first, listen, listen people out, and then try to have a much more constructive conversation that way. To a topic uh, that's close to your heart, which is ASEAN, I think 10 years ago we held our first Invest ASEAN, Maybank's signature thought leadership conference. 
to bring ASEAN to the world and the world to ASEAN. While still all economy heavy, ASEAN is clearly undergoing transformation. Uh, Indonesia has emerged as home to the second largest number of unicorns in the region and is accelerating its EV agenda, while Vietnam has the highest installed capacity of solar power in Southeast Asia. Can I get your views on where you see ASEAN next 10 years? Okay, first and foremost, Fadil, I am sure we will both agree with one very simple statement, that ASEAN will continue to grow, period. What I do spend a lot of time thinking about is that is the question on how it will grow. So let me share three key data points that are good signposts of the possibilities for ASEAN. Firstly, is that ASEAN holds uh, 25% of global investable forest carbon stock. Secondly, that 20 to 40% uh, of blue carbon stocks are also held in ASEAN. And thirdly, that ASEAN holds 97% of tropical peatlands carbon sinks. Uh, uh, you know, I am not uh, a climate scientist either, but what I do understand is that what it means, these three data points, is that ASEAN can clearly take a leadership role if it so chooses for driving both uh, the net zero and just transition. ASEAN is very blessed with relatively stable governments across the region. It has a very young demographic, uh, basically a wealth of both natural and human capital. So it goes without saying that ASEAN has a very bright future. Uh, but again, uh, what is the specific pathway that it will choose if we could actually really harness and leverage collaborations, uh, cooperation, cooperation, uh, whatever the term is, to really prioritize uh, certain outcomes uh, and certain pathways for the greater good, greater sustainability of all economies and all markets uh, in the region. My one concern is that as we transition or focus towards transitioning into a low-carbon economy for ASEAN, my concern is whether there will be impact as we navigate towards that trajectory in terms of the social costs, whether there will be an impact to social costs, especially given that uh, any form of transition will have a natural cost impact. I mean, we're a very fossil-based environment within ASEAN. What are your thoughts are for that? In pursuing an ESG agenda, in pursuing an agenda that prioritizes uh, environmental, social and governance considerations, uh, different parts of the world take, will take different emphasis. But certainly in this part of the world, post-pandemic, uh, it has been the S or the social considerations that have really uh, been of paramount importance. And I believe uh, rightly so, because you know we do live in a region, in multiple economies, where the inequity and inequality amongst various segments and sub-segments of society are very palpable and have been very much captured in various data points. If we believe that the true promise of ASEAN in its human capital to really create, innovate and deliver on the various uh, technologies that, have, uh, that can really bring greater value to society as a whole. So human capital is where I think you know, the S or the social of ESG really tries to focus on. So it's really about addressing the inequity and the inequitability uh, that's contained within the universe of uh, social considerations of ESG. That's a nice segue into DEI. As chair of the 30% Club in Malaysia for the past year, 
you have been actively advocating for board diversity to improve company performance. Based on statistics, as at uh, 1st October 22, women hold 29% of board seats amongst the top 100 companies in Malaysia. We're just some 10 seats away from the target of 30%, at least for the top 100 companies. How can we maintain this momentum and ensure that other companies follow suit to go beyond 30%? Uh, you know, Fadil, the, the one thing that I repeatedly say in public is that uh, in 2022, sometimes I feel it's a bit tragic that women are half of the population and we still talk about 30%. Uh, sooner or later, we will have to change uh, the name of the 30% club to the 50% club or the parity club. Nevertheless, I, I, I hear you. I'm greatly encouraged by the support of uh, CEOs like you who are actually very constructively defining yourselves as male allies because that really does uh, matter. It creates a lot of impact in terms of breaking down uh, biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious, by both men and women. So in terms of making sure that uh, we maintain that momentum, especially uh, trying to get at least 30% of women on boards and senior management, it has to be a confluence and convergence of many different stakeholders and advocates to get to where we really want to get to. And of course, you know, the ultimate goal is that there is a proportionate representation for all. And uh, there have been many people before me and there will continue to be many people after me, I'm sure, who will continue to want to see that outcome. And who knows, perhaps uh, the outcome can happen in my lifetime. But that momentum does need to keep uh, going. You mentioned earlier that you come from a humble background and that your journey was not without challenges. Colour pencil. Uh, story just now and uh, so what's your advice to the aspiring youngsters especially young women out there um, maybe the advice I would give perhaps to a younger me right uh, would be embrace earlier uh, or sooner rather than later in the sense that have clarity or try to have clarity around why we wake up every morning uh, and do what we do. It doesn't have to be anything radical or revolutionary. A simple understanding uh, of what our individual purpose is uh, and why we wake up every morning and do what we do because having that individual purpose can be a game changer as to how we approach our own life. When we have better clarity, that will also impact the lives of other people around us because we constantly will feel inspired and serve as a source of inspiration for, for everyone else. Funnily enough, today is my birthday, I turned 61, and at the right age of 61, I think uh, I finally have come to you know, that simple statement that for me, I just want to be useful uh, to humanity. Whether that usefulness is you know, from being kind, uh, simple acts of kindness, and also to perhaps the other extreme of being able to make a difference, creating an impact, uh, driving organizational success, uh, and what success actually means. What, what would you say are guiding principles or values that we should uphold? What's very key in your mind? To always be yourself and be true to yourself. Uh, there's no other person out there that you really need to love the most uh, because you are who you have the possibility of growth is always there. 
So accepting who you are, uh, like for me, being able to tell the story that my dream when I was 10 was really to just have color pencils and magic pens. It's taken me, you know, 51 years to be able to share that story. Uh, probably because, you know, I had my own insecurities that perhaps I would not be accepted if I, you know, people knew I came from humble background or uh, that uh, how economically challenged I was uh, with my, in my family life. We carry all these insecurities which are largely uh, great falsehoods because people have the ability to accept uh, us as whoever we are. But it is about us starting out being honest and uh, accepting ourselves. Being true to oneself, uh, to me, is uh, really, really key. You should think about mentoring. And, <laughs> and that goes to my, to my last question. I mean, what are your plans post-retirement? And uh, are board memberships on the cards for you? Now, this is a really funny, uh, I guess, response that I will have. My thought is this, uh, with my retirement coming up uh, in a few days, you know, this word retirement is a very scary word. It comes on you <laughs> without you knowing. And I was actually thinking in the last few weeks that the word retirement doesn't really sit comfortably with me. I have actually been thinking like trying to describe this process, which is a transition process that it is really about stepping out, you know, stepping out from line management to being to a more strategic role. So I don't know, I will have to speak and maybe write a lot more about how perhaps organizations need to articulate uh, the concept of retirement, which may seem a bit asynchronous with uh, how uh, life is at this point in time. I guess the benchmark is the fact that our former prime minister at 97 did stand uh, for the last elections. Uh, results aside, uh, the fact is that you know, he had the energy and the intellectual wherewithal to still do it. Uh, yes, it is about uh, taking on more strategic roles. More importantly, it is about continuing to do what I'm most passionate about, which is about building things. Uh, building, for example, what I've been doing the last 13 years, uh, building business platforms that can uh, give opportunities, give access to people to really grow, for Malaysians to become, for example, uh, with uh, what we've built at the Investment Banking Group, a Malaysian multinational, a Malaysian homegrown investment bank that really understands how to do business uh, across ASEAN uh, and for the benefit of all its stakeholders. On a final note, when I was thinking about what would be a, a, a final statement that would hold true to me, uh, I actually got gifted this morning uh, by one of my sisters with this uh, great quote uh, from one of my very favorite poets, uh, Rumi, who was a 13th century Persian poet. So the quote says, uh, our greatest strength lies in the gentleness and tenderness of our heart. With that, thank you very much, Amy, for sharing your views and perspective. Thank you also on behalf of Maybank Investment Bank and all my colleagues for your support and invaluable contributions. Happy birthday. Wishing you all the very best for the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Padil. That was Dato Amy Morris, the outgoing CEO of Maybank Investment Banking Group, speaking to Dato Fadil Mohammad of Maybank Investment Bank. Tune in for more C-Suite Talks. I'm Noel Lim on Nazian Speaks by Maybank. 